Welcome to Focused on Forward. The purpose of this podcast is to focus on recovery from life situations, be it a disease, chronic or acute, perhaps the loss of someone so dear to you in death, or a change of life patterns that has affected you so profoundly that you have no choice but to find your new normal and become focused on moving forward. Each episode is designed to show the positivity that people bring to each and every one of their stories, the successes they've had, ways that they have become so definitively focused on moving forward. We look forward to sharing their stories, and we hope that they inspire you just as much as they have inspired us. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Focused on Forward. Today I have the absolute pleasure of talking with Katherine Thomas Humphreys. Now I've had the the opportunity to get to know her a little bit in pre-show, talking with her about some of the things that she's gone through in life, some of the things I've gone through in life, and and just kind of commiserating between parents uh, as to how we've raised our children, the things that we look forward to and such. But I think you'll be interested in, in listening to Catherine's story today because she's going to talk to you about being a single mother and the challenges of being a single mother, especially a young single mother, and, and realizing the importance of having financial safety and security for herself and her family as she moved forward. And the reason why this topic is so important is because she's also a financial advisor, and she's going to talk a little bit about that more towards the end of the show. But I think it's important that we have people on who have these these credible businesses, but also have these amazing backstories of things that they've gone through. It helps us to understand that we're not always trapped in the cycle of system. The system has placed us in. There are ways to move and negotiate and, and navigate around these things. And so I'm very excited to have Catherine on today and to hear her story, but not only just her story, but how she chose to become focused on forward because there was a definite choice at a certain spot in her life where she said, I need to make a change. So Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey there, Tim. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I honestly, I'm very excited about today and to hear your story. So if you're ready, would you please share with us? Absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes it's hard to know where your story begins, isn't it? You sort of look where you are and then you think there was the defining moment And then the more we focus on forward, the more we unravel and realize that it's just been sort of one long interconnecting set of events. Um, So for the purpose of today, I'll start my story um, when I was 16. Um, I can see now that it actually started before then, um, which I may or may not come on to. I'll see how winding a road I take you down today. Um, So I was born, I'm in the UK. I don't know if the accent gives that away. Uh, born in a small little town just outside Birmingham in the Midlands um, to parents of nurses. Um, and I'm the middle child of three, and we are literally peas in a pod. I don't know how my mom did three under three. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. But for one reason or another, I always seem to be the responsible one. Um, so even as by the time I reached 16, in my head, I was. 30. I'm sure anybody who's got teenagers knows that 11 going on 18. So mm-hmm. um, I actually just wanted to, to grow up. I wanted to have a family of my own. And whilst it wasn't a conscious decision, I didn't set out to start a family barely before I'd finished school. But for um, one reason or another, that's the position that I found myself in. Um, and I was 20 weeks pregnant um, when I found out. And that sense of standing on a cliff edge, I think, realizing I was about to take a really difficult path um, 
if I chose to take it. And I, I did. I wanted to, I wanted to do that. I wanted to be a mom. Um, I was a little naive. <laughs> I thought it would be easier than everybody told me it would be. Um, but the reality was I had the energy, I had the enthusiasm, but financially and the, the kind of fortitude, I think, it was really, really tough. Um, so I was a single mom. I had her. She was lovely. She's still the light of my life. Um, I speak to her almost every day, and it's been a real joy watching her grow into a successful young woman running her business. But what I didn't realize is what I thought I could do, which was to be a full-time mom, to effectively also be her dad. I was still studying, so I, I stayed at, um, I didn't go to school, but I continued my education of self-taught. And I had to work. So effectively, I'm trying to do four jobs for the price of one. Right. And it took its toll. Um, and the way it took its toll was things just began to frighten me. Um, I was afraid of the bills coming through the door. I'd lie in bed in the morning and sort of psych myself up. I'd hear the postman. And then I'd go downstairs and I'd lay the letters out. And sometimes I had to psych myself up for weeks before I could open them. Um, and other times I felt braver. Um, and as the, I think it's a little bit like pain, actually, Tim, that you can, you can cope with a broken ankle. It's six weeks of really mm -hmm. uncomfortable pain. But then when you have a chronic pain and it goes on and you're, you've got a condition where it's always there, it takes its, its toll on you um, mentally and physically. And I think the, and emotionally, absolutely. And I think the financial responsibility and being the physical responsibility and emotional responsibility just over the years, slowly, I felt like I wasn't worth very much. I felt guilty for not being able to be better, even though I couldn't see at the time how well I was doing. It was just never good enough. I wasn't being the best in my job, even though I was working hard and progressing. Mm -hmm. I wasn't being the best mom. Okay. Um, and then little by little, you just, your self-value, self-esteem erodes. And from that position of not being valuable and not being worthy, worthy, we as adults and humans, I think, just make poorer choices. The, we, we choose people to spend time with who value us as little as we do. Um, and in my bid to relieve myself, I guess, from this fear and these pressures, um, I got married. Um, and I chose someone who... I wouldn't choose today. <laughs> Should we put it like that? Sure. Um, I didn't choose them as a financial plan. It was, again, not that conscious. I was looking for a solution from a place of a poor perspective, really. So that marriage didn't, it, was not, it wasn't a great relationship. Um, it didn't work for either of us, but particularly for me. And then I had to face, do I make the choice now to go back to being single, knowing everything I know about it, knowing how hard it is, knowing what that financial commitment is, or do I stay in this really unhealthy relationship? Um, and I made the decision after a few years going through the shall I, shan't I? Um, and by this time, we had a child, so I had two children. Um, so I had, I had to leave. Um, it was the right thing to do, but it, was, it took so much guts. Um, to do sure. it once was hard enough, but to do it twice um was was really really challenging um, how long Catherine? how long were you in that relationship were you um 
that's a good question. So I was in the relationship for about nine years. Okay. Um, and I realized probably within the first year that this wasn't right, that this person didn't really cherish me, that they didn't really hold me in the sort of high regard um, we should hold our partners with. Absolutely, um, yeah. So, but it was like, well, I've, I know what it's like. I've done it once. I've done it single. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's me. Uh, maybe I need to try harder. Maybe, and you're constantly looking for your own reasons and solutions. Um, maybe if we got married, perhaps if we had a child. Um, but none of that actually fixes the fact that the, the relationship is wrong and that you've chosen someone who, who isn't right sure. for you. Um, so that was a really difficult day. Um, I remember the things we find ourselves doing just literally on my knees in my bedroom crying thinking how am I going to do this how am I going to actually face this on my own again um and I think that's where the forward part comes in because that's when I realized that it wasn't just me um and I don't mean that in a really woo way or a kind of um not even a religious way but almost in a kind of spiritual sense that sure I needed to to lean into something to learn to trust that I was part of a bigger thing, um, if sure. that makes any sense. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I get that. So you said for nine years you were in the relationship. So mm. for and one year in, you you knew that this wasn't it. So for eight years you delayed the inevitable. Yeah. <laughs> by because because of clearly it appears to be have have some something to do with your own. Uh, feelings of self-worth, self-doubt, things along those lines. So what were the things that were happening that that added to you having this self-doubt and getting to the point where you knew that you had to make the break? Um, I think the the resilience to, and the, the desire to be a great mom um, was obviously there from day one because that had been my whole purpose. Mm-hmm. And when I started to see that as I struggled um and my mood went down or I became quicker to to lose my temper or I could so I remember when my youngest we would be sat at the dinner table obviously me and my ex-husband had had some conflict um some there'd be tension so I wouldn't be speaking to him or he wouldn't be speaking to me and my son would pass the messages along and I looked at, and I thought this isn't fair this this is not not right for him to to be sure in this environment it's not that's not the kind of parenting that I do even on my own when I'm struggling with the finances you know they are um, our children are not they're not number one in that we do have to take care of ourselves first but they are definitely what we make our choices around and, and our decisions around so I think seeing that it was having a negative effect on him okay and then by this time my daughter was in her mid-teens um and she was also having some, she was, I mean, they go through moods anyway, don't they, in their teens. Um, and they like to, to take themselves off to their room. But hers was added to in that she felt, I think, like she'd lost a little bit of me. That fun-loving mom, mm. the hands-on, always cheering her on, always there. Um, that Because my mood was down and I was kind of wondering why I was getting out of bed, wondering why, why I was doing any of it. So she had lost a little bit of me as well. So really it was in recognition that it wasn't about me. 
that the right thing for my two children at that time was that they were in an environment where they felt emotionally safe and where they felt heard and where I could be a great mom again, even if it was harder work for me. Um, so when that realization took hold, it was at that point that I made the decision that we would go it alone. And we did. Okay. So now let's look at, at moving forward here. Now we, you've gotten to the point where you've made the decision. You knew that you had to do something clearly. So what were the next steps? What did you do in order to set your foothold and becoming again, a single parent? Yeah. Um, so I did what I've, I always did is I went into survival mode. And I think this is where my my love and my passion for having financial resilience and financial stabilities for families comes from. Um, I've never known whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, but naturally when we look at our fight or flight or freeze, um, I realize that actually I get, I got fight. So I have a feisty go out and fight for my children fight for. So we rented a house. Um, I, I've always, I've always worked hard and I've always had a job so that wasn't that wasn't an issue um and then it was everything I'd have done before it was like um taking a role you're familiar with in that you you know how to save money you know how to magic money this is something that single moms that I've worked with we are amazing at making ends meet there's if you if something needs doing um a car boot sale or a, a sellout or somehow or other and this is also where the trust is but somehow or other provision is made or we make it um and I love that creative part <laughs> um is that what's that saying we have in the UK that necessity is the mother of all invention yes. when you really need something the creativity mm -hmm. and the inventiveness comes up um so that's what we did but this tied in <clears throat> we were having a, a chat on this pre-show about years and you mentioned the year 2007 so in the UK, that was when we had our housing crisis. And what happened for the next couple of years was because we were renting, landlords who were also struggling because of the housing crisis were selling their houses or moving back into them. And over that period of two years, every four to six months, we were asked to, to find a new home. Um, oh, wow. And it was totally no fault of ours, but it was a case of this person's life as and is under pressure and the impact was on us. So I had to constantly find my, my children another home. Um, and it was getting to the point that I, I was kind of had, had enough. I'd really had enough. Sure. And my stepfather said something really interesting. He said, you are destined to repeat what you don't understand. And at the time I was kind of a little bit dismissive in that, but these things are happening to me, you know? Um, and I had interpreted that he was kind of saying like, I was making it happen and both were right. Um, but it, it took some reflection to see that, that I did have a choice in that. Um, I had a choice, not only to how I re responded and reacted to it, but I also had a choice as to what I did next. And was I going to stay in that cycle of renting and being, um, What's the term sort of subject to someone else's life decisions? Sure. Oh, was I going to break that pattern? So I decided I was going to break that pattern. Um, 
Now in the UK, I don't know what it's like for you guys in Michigan, but we've got like the South, which is slightly more expensive to live. The nearer to London you are, the more cost everything is, especially housing sure. costs. Or North, which is significantly cheaper. So I thought, well, if I move North, I save half of what I'm spending on rent. I will save that up and put that say into savings and buy a house. Um, so we did. Um, we moved north, and after two years, we were in a position and we bought our first house. And that was really key because suddenly I felt like I was safe in my own home, that I was not going to get a letter through the door um, saying it's time to go. Um, and so for me, that was a real milestone, and I had achieved that. So that was that positive. Um, firstly, the desire to have it, and then the actions, those small actions taken to, to have that, um, and which is, yeah, that was a, a defining moment. And that was, I think, when I was in a more positive frame of mind, and I met my now husband, who is lovely and treats me accordingly. <laughs> Perfect. Well, that's awesome. So I, I want to ask you real briefly about this because you mentioned, you know, uh, every four to six months having to move. And mm. when my mother was, it was just my mother, my brother and I, we moved quite often as well. And, yeah. and I know that that's not the case for every woman who's a single parent or every father who's a single parent. But I, I do know that that sometimes is that's one of the things that kind of plays off because yeah, you know, there's a change in finances or there's other situations. As you mentioned, the landlord wants to sell the house or, or something along those lines. But you, you kind of alluded to it, but what was the emotional, mental impact of having to move that often? How did that affect you? Yeah, um, I found it, in truth, I found it devastating because we feel safe when we've got a home. Um, if we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs it's those basic needs are they met as our security and then from that foundation we can aspire so it feels like people are pulling the rug from underneath you just trying to set your foundations and then the whole thing's disturbed again um, it's also costly because um, you have to put down your deposit you have to pack so it's like at a time where you don't really have the financial resource that yet again you've got to go through this cycle um, I was worn out. I felt like a failure, like I couldn't get this right, even though it was kind of happening. I now don't say to us. I now say it was happening for us. Um, I think that reframe uh, is something that really helped me get through that. Perspective. <clears throat> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, on the plus side, um, my daughter and I used to joke that she, even in her teens, could pack up a kitchen in half a day. Um, <laughs> But then from the children's perspective, they were the biggest losers because they were being taken from friends or they were being moved to a new area. And um, I at least had a car um, because I needed to travel to work, but they were youngsters and your community and the people you play with are where you can walk or cycle a bike, depending on, on your age. So right. I think yeah. for, for them, and then that adds a guilt onto the parent is that you want your children to feel safe and have these things and yet you haven't been able to to give them that so it was an it was an extremely extremely difficult time financially and emotionally and mentally okay 
I, I can appreciate that as being a child who's gone through something similar. We, uh, we moved often. And although it was not ideal, and I can, I can probably sympathize a lot with your children and, and, and the moving around and going, you know, I, I, I lost track of the number of school districts I was actually in. But, mm. um, you know, it was kind of interesting for me because I look at it now and I, I honestly believe that it's, even though it wasn't ideal at the time, I think it's helped me now because it's made me be a bit of an extrovert where I had to get used to talking to people. I had to get to a point where I could introduce myself and I could hold the conversation. I could talk with somebody, you know, about the, all these different things, not just, you know, show up and do the thing. And, and that sometimes for some kids, that's, that's the result is that, you know, they just kind of, they, they pull within, I, I think for me, and maybe, I don't know if that's how your, your children reacted, but for me, it was, I had to learn how to pull from within and, and move outward to towards other people and have the conversations and introduce myself and, and be the guy that was not afraid to reach out and say hello to this whole new group of people. So, mm. yeah, I think each of mine had a, a different reaction and I think that kind of reflects their different natures. Sure. Um, so my daughter, as soon as she was an adult, first, one of the first things she did was buy herself a house. <laughs> Um, she had some support from me and all those lessons. Um, sure. My son, he, he was the one that really pulled my strength out of me. Because when we did the big move from south to north, um, he had to go to a, a totally different accent, totally different school. And he had to go and face it, whether he wanted to or not. He, he had to get up, mm -hmm. leave the house, go to school and face that scenario. Whereas at least I could slightly hide away from it if I'd chosen to. Um, and he he came back this first few weeks of school and it, people had been unkind about his accent because they were calling him partial. We were from that we'd moved into quite um, a challenging sort of part neighborhood. <clears throat> OK. Um, and he had to learn to stand up for himself. He had to learn that if someone was going to push him in the dinner queue or kick him under the table, his choice was to to take that or to, to stand up. Um, he mm -hmm. took the path of least resistance, which was to learn to stand up for himself in a way. It's a skill he still uses today. So it's been good for him, but it was a hard, hard lesson. Sure. Um, the other side was that the girls liked his accent and he learned that he, charming. So he learned a different skill on the other side from that. So, um, yes, uh, our, our life shapes us and there's never a there's always a positive to take from the situation. But sometimes right. you look back and think I would have preferred to have spared them and spared me maybe from that constant financial worry. Yeah, absolutely. So now how old were you at the time when you, when you bought your first house and you made that step forward and started to secure uh, a bit of uh, stability for yourself? Yeah. So that was 36. Um, okay. So really from 20 years of moving, feeling insecure um, working really hard. So I'm not saying we were ever, I didn't somehow or other, I didn't manage to, to rack up a lot of debt. I think I had very, um, sage grandparents, which was, you don't borrow. So, so it was very much scarcity mm -hmm. and frugal. Um, so, and not expecting more, not asking for more, not wanting more. And I had to shift that mindset into wanting more, asking for more, um, believing that there was more, not this mindset of the money runs out or in this monthly cycle of this is how much you've earned and these are the 700 places you've got to spread it to get to the end of the month. 
Um, that is definitely a mindset. It may look like money, it may look like numbers, but it's, so um, in my experience is it's almost entirely emotional and how we think about it and how we frame it that can shift that, that scenario and situation and create something more positive. Okay. So for, from that point, moving forward at the age of 36, how long was it before you decided that you wanted to become a financial advisor so that you could not only help yourself, but other people who maybe had gone through similar situations as yourself? Yeah, I think it was the, the midlife forties. Um, so around about 40, I kind of looked back and I thought, even though that was hard, um, what you actually had was a really good skill. Um, like I could budget on nothing. I can magic money. I found people were off, even in those early days, people would ask me what the cost of things were or how they could save money. So it was like I was already being asked or seen as somebody who might be able to solve that or work that out. Um, I think I'd learned the, the housing rules inside out, the, the benefit system back to front. Um, and I thought, well, if people are asking me, um, then surely that says something. But second to that, it was, it was the aloneness of finance that um, certainly in the UK, we don't really talk about money. So we don't talk about when we're in debt. We don't talk about how much salary we've got. Um, the money is quite a private. I think people would prefer to tell you what their bedroom activities are way before they tell you what their, <laughs> their bank balance is. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> I don't know what it's like in Michigan, but in the UK, it's not talked about at all. Um, so you, you get a sense of aloneness. You get this feeling that you are the only one who's struggling at this or the only one who's um, failing for an internal word. Um, and that you don't really know where to go for the answers, um, that it's not really taught in, in school curriculum how to, to, how to budget, how to save, how to invest. I never remember anything at school on how to set up a pension or how to build your investments or how to shift from financial scarcity into a position where you have money coming in freely that you enjoy and you want to work with it, not for money's sake, but to get the family to the place you want your family to have that life and the dreams that you want with your family, that there's not a topic. So it was a lot about if I speak up, um, that somebody would hear that they're not alone, that their, their situation is not unique and it can be changed. That's beautiful. I love that. So I was looking on your website and I want to ask you about one of the statements on your website. And uh, we'll give you, we'll give you a moment here in just a, a couple seconds to be able to share more about your business and, and your website and everything. But and I wanted you to talk about this because I think it's very germane to the conversation we're having right here, right now. Um, I, this paragraph, I, I just love this. It says, I'm on a mission to empower parents to take control and influence their money to create the financial future they want for themselves, for themselves and their family. I know there are two sides to our money relationship, the emotional and the practical, and we need to honor both for real financial change. The part I want to ask you about those where it says there are two sides to our money relationship, the emotional and the practical. And I was hoping that you might be able to explain that to us as to what that means and how those things impact not only our relationship with money, but our, our lives in general. Um, absolutely. So um, on the, the practical, because that's maybe the easiest one to, to button off, um, 
that's the, the how-to skills. And we, we see them every single day. Are we budgeting? Are we making the best for um, saving for our future? Um, are we saving automatically? Are we managing our debt? What do all those words mean? Finance comes with a bunch of complex words often, which are just dressed up. Because uh, if you boil it down, financial skills themselves are fairly straightforward. Um, so if they're straightforward, then when you go, if you do a Google search, for example, of how do I make my money last the month? Um, almost every single answer on the front page is you need a budget. You need a budget. Well, a budget won't work if emotionally you're too afraid of your financial situation to look at the budget or if you are fulfilling a need. Um, so sometimes I think I alluded to it with the idea um, of when we're not valuable, we choose things that aren't valuable and the people we right. do or the relationships we have. So if you're trying to fulfill that sense of being worth something and the way that comes out might be compulsive or impulsive emotional shopping. Now, the budget isn't going to help you with that habit because it's not caused by not budgeting. It's caused by this emotional sense of being valuable or not being valuable. So it's almost like the budget sets us up to fail. Whereas when we honor the emotional side of money, the, the fact that the words are very similar, are we valuable? Is it worth worthwhile? Is it worthy? Um, and if you listen, as soon as we start listening to how we talk about money, what words are coming in and around it, like only or just, they're like smaller words. Um, if we have a fear um, that it's going to run out, then that then shapes how we interact with it. For some of us, we just never look. For some of it, us, we do the opposite. Um, I have one client who budget so strictly because of fear that there's no space to enjoy the money there's no space for her to have any fun and to me that's as important with our money uh, we're not here to live a really stringent kind of skeleton life it also should be enjoyable it should be fun and money facilitates that so it's not the be all and end all it's the vehicle that gets us to the, the life that we want to have so I think when we spend time and this is what I do with all of my clients, looking at both sides. How do we feel about spending? How valuable do we feel? Where have we learned this money belief? Where is it the parents telling us money doesn't grow on trees? And um, what are those belief systems that we have in our language that we've inherited? And how are they showing up today in how we interact with our money? And when we understand that, that's where the transformation comes, because we have everything within us we need to make that change because you haven't got to rely on something external. It's that thought piece and that mindset and the emotions. And then as soon as that clicks and you get that aha moment, the, the skill set neatly slots in. Um, and that's where certainly with my clients, we have the most success. Okay. Excellent. I think that's a very good answer. All right. So Catherine, we're at a stage in the show where I like to ask two questions of my guests, the same two questions I ask every guest. So I'd like to hear your responses to these. So the first one is looking back over the entirety of your journey, what's the single greatest lesson you have learned? Oh, the single greatest lesson is, I think is to trust, um, is to, and not in a fatalistic way to sort of put your hands up and just sort of let life happen um I think I was always so busy trying to fix and to do that I thought it was all on my shoulders and then that responsibility and the weight of that um and then how that made me feel um 
kind of wore me down. And I think if I'd learned earlier that whilst that when I said that single moms are magic and that we can magic up money, that I think other people might say things like the universe provides. Those aren't my words, but I think it's a, a near description. It's just to trust that actually, um, if you take a, a breath and make space, the thing that needs to happen will be the thing that happens. Um, so that I think is probably my greatest lesson. Very good. Okay. All right. So the second question, very similar to the first, looking back over the entirety of your experiences, what is the single greatest piece of advice that you have personally been given? I think it would be that challenge from my stepfather that we're destined to repeat what we don't understand. Okay. Um, because it was, it was the moment that the direction changed or the speed of things changed that I realized even though I didn't see the result immediately, and maybe I didn't act immediately, it was the interruption that I needed to, to break the habit and the cycle that I was in to recognize that I could do something different, that I could make that change. Um, and I think without that piece of advice, I maybe would have continued thinking that this was happening to me. Um, and I was somehow um, not a victim, but sort of just a bystander and it was just going to keep on occurring um so I think that was the empowering where I could step into it um probably took a couple of years before I really got it <laughs> um but then that I think is is the direction changer okay excellent yeah it sounds like you went from being an observer to being a, a participator in your own life yeah so. I think yeah I think I owned my power that I had yeah. perhaps been yeah not stepped into before. Agreed. Agreed. Very good. All right, Catherine, uh, what I'd like you to do is, is I'll, I'm going to step back from the microphone here a moment. Please tell everybody, everybody, all the listeners where they can find out more about you. And if they would like to, to work with you, how could they get in touch with you? Yeah, of course. Um, so I founded a financial coaching business called the Finfluencer. And that's come from these two words, financial and influencer not because I am, but because I do believe and hope my story also shows that every single one of us can influence our finances. Um, and it's very much about our own inner transformation. So I can be found at my website, which is the Finfluencer. It is .co.uk um, because I'm over in the UK. Now, financial coaching is not regulated. So I do work with people in America and the UK. Um, our investment structures are slightly different. So at the point you need advice, it would be a slightly different turn. Um, in terms of how I work with people, I love working one-to-one -one for really quick transformation. So the way that I coach, I'm very compassionate because um, I don't think any of us should be judged. We are where we are. We are who we are because of where we are. And that is the, the space and the safe space that you will, be, will have honored when you work with me. Um, and I run a 12-week program. And during that time, we'll go through your personal coaching and you will start to take the actions that you want to see, the changes that you want to see. Um, for those where one-to-one -one is at too high a ticket price at the moment, and again, honoring my younger self who would not maybe have been able to make the change, um, I have two other ways of working. One is a monthly membership where you pay a monthly fee and you get video coaching every single week on either a mindset, emotional topic or on a practical topic. And then you can also access discounted coaching from there. And I also have something called my Give Back Pledge, 
for every 10 people that I work with, um, sorry, every 10, the 10th one um, is, gets my services funded by me. Um, really, the people that I want to support most with that give back pledge are people who started being a mom young. They don't necessarily have to still be young, but I think that when we start young, we often miss out on the, the employment progression and the education that perhaps we would have taken if we hadn't been putting our children first. And I think things like the shame and the guilt about money, the shame and the guilt and the fear of our situation is reflected often in our finances. So um, just jump onto my website and drop me the details of who you are um, and what your situation is. And if you fall into that, then I will help you for free, funded by me. Oh, that's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. That's awesome. Okay, so guys, if you're interested in working with Catherine, you can again find her on the finfluencer.co.uk and uh, I'll have that linked down below in the show notes so that you guys can have uh, easy access to her. But this has been a, a wonderful discussion on, on my end. I've thoroughly enjoyed having you here, Catherine. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tim. I really appreciate people uh, being willing to come on and share their stories and, and yours is no exception. Uh, I, I appreciate the honesty, the brutal honesty of, of your emotions and how you felt and the way you were going through things. So thank you. And uh, we look forward to uh, continued success for you. Thank you so much, Tim. Thank you for your time. It's been a real pleasure. All right. All right, everybody. That will conclude us today for Focused on Forward. Well, that concludes another episode of Focused on Forward. To be a guest of Focused on Forward, you can reach us through Twitter, at Podcast FOF, through our Facebook page named Focused On Forward, or through email, focusedonforward at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing each and every one of your stories that has yet to be told. So until then, be safe, be kind, and be loving to one another as you stay focused on forward.